Welcome to our Lead to Succeed podcast, where we share leadership and business growth insights, both from our own experiences and that of our guests. We're the hosts. I'm Rebecca Jenkins, founder of Argen, helping companies to grow by finding, gaining and growing the best clients. And I'm Callum, sharing my perspectives from both being an entrepreneur and working in a variety of different companies. Whether you lead a team or a business, you'll find practical tips, inspirational insights and ideas as we discuss a wide range of leadership topics. So with that, here's today's episode. Welcome back, everyone. We have Adrian Simpson with us today. Now, Adrian and I go back a good number of years. I hate to say this, but it's probably 25, if not more. I'd say probably even more, Rebecca. Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) So Adrian is the co-founder and chief connector and a keynote speaker, and he's the co-founder of Wavelength. And he has over 25 years of visiting the boardrooms and shop floors of some of the most admired and successful companies. And they're all well-known names. I know Adrian has a lot to say about leadership because he's been exposed to a lot of leadership in companies such as Apple, Tesla, Airbnb, Lego, Google, and Ritz-Carlton, to name but a few. And I know when we first met, Adrian, many, many years ago, you introduced me to uh, the fantastic customer experience of Ritz-Carlton because we worked together a little bit with Tom Peters and um, I remember putting that Ritz-Carlton fantastic customer experience to the test and I stayed at a Ritz-Carlton hotel and I had an issue with room service and the following day I went to, I, I mentioned it to uh, I was checking out and I mentioned it to somebody who was in um, clean, the housekeeper and she said, how's your stay been? And I said, oh, it's been pretty good. But I had this issue with room service. And do you know what? By the time I got to reception and checked out, they already knew about it. And the person at the reception said to me, what can we do to put it right? So that whole philosophy of fantastic, fantastic customer experience uh, you you got me on that journey all those years ago. So very big welcome to you, Adrian. Thank you very much for joining us. Well, thank you for sharing that lovely story, that warm introduction. Yes, Ritz Carlton is uh, amongst one of the finest businesses in the world. I've had the pleasure to to to, to visit, and um, yeah, I think I guess I mean I I you know what why I, I love them is they they embody um, the, the the kind of spirit of, of leadership and organizational cultures that I love, which are organizations that put people front and center of their culture and have a relentless compulsive obsessive focus on their people which leads to uh, a a great customer experience which leads to profitability and uh, was a kind of philosophy which as you and I know you mentioned Tom Peters I was very fortunate enough uh, to work for him for three years and one of the most formative moments of my life actually was with my father um, when I was about 15 years old gave me a book the the, the in search of excellence book and I remember reading it and not understanding why every business in the world didn't put its people at the heart of its culture therefore you know and 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 just it really struck me uh, that that was just just made sense and it inspired me to spend my career really looking for examples of organizations like Ritz-Carlton Four Seasons in a similar vein, Southwest Airlines, the uh, IKEAs, the Airbnbs that put at the the front and centre of their, their 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 cultures, their people. Awesome. Well, it's really a pleasure to have you on the podcast today, Adrian. You know, th- thanks very much for taking the time out to, to chat with us. Uh, I think you know from your experience and some of the companies that you work with, we're going to have a really fascinating conversation. Today. <laughs> 
And, you know, we usually ask the, the question to our guests to start off with, you know, what, is, what does great leadership look like for them? But I was just kind of going through the, the program that Wavelength have for your customers in the USA and having worked with, you know, companies like Tesla, Airbnb, Apple, and so on. But really interested here, what do you think, what are some of the, like, the main similarities you see in those leadership teams across some of those, like, really um, famous companies like Apple? That's a great question, Caleb. I spend a lot of time reflecting on, um, because as you've alluded to, I spent 30 years going inside the boardrooms, shop floors of great companies, not just in, in North America, but also uh, in China, uh, in India, across Europe, and reflecting on what are some of those, uh, those characteristics. Um, I would say um, one of the characteristics of great organizations is they have a really, really clear, compelling sense of purpose, and they don't just talk it, they actually walk it. And so um, and, and I'm talking about something which, you know, sense of purpose, which appeals to the intrinsic motivation of the employee, something that really ideally gets people out of bed in the morning. It goes beyond shareholder value, beyond, you know, kind of customers, all the kind of cliches you get on the classic sort of mission statements in the corporate corporate world. And, you know, when you see a really powerful purpose in action, you see the ability to galvanize people's energy and spirit. It's something quite remarkable to see. And I would say, you know, um, so whether it's in India, uh, there is an incredible organization called the Arab and Eye Care System, uh, which is is the largest specialist provider of eye care in the world. They've treated about 70 million people over the last 50 years. And they've had the same guiding purpose for 50 years, which is to eradicate needless blindness you know I, I don't know about you but I'd get out of bed in the morning for, for that as my purpose or if you in a more UK-based example you know Babylon Health um, you know uh, which floated last year talked about to, to put accessible affordable health care in the hands of every person on earth <laughs> and you know you you get purposes like that and they they transcend just those cliches that you normally hear like really so I think that's one trait is is, is that um, I think um, you know, another one, we'll talk about this, I'm sure, in more detail, which is um, an incredible, uncompromising focus on culture and fit and culture fit. The best organizations and the best leaders in the world um, do not relent on the quality of the people that they will, they will bring into their organization. They make it almost the most important decision that a leader will ever make is the caliber of the individuals that they are bringing into that organization. And that is something I have seen time and time again. And whether it's Southwest Airlines 50 years later and the, the relentless obsessive focus they put on recruitment, and I can tell, tell some stories about how they do that, or whether it was, I had the pleasure. Um, so Wavelength's core business is kind of bringing the outside world in. So trying to provide our clients with that external inspiration um, education, indeed, provocation. And we ran a fantastic session last year with Joe Zadar, who was employee number nine at Airbnb, who went on to the main executive board. And uh, he told the story when he was interviewed for Airbnb as employee number nine by Brian Chesky, the other two founders. He had 14 interviews. How many? <laughs> 14. Wow. As employee number nine. Wow. And they weren't testing for his engineering skills. They knew he was a brilliant engineer. What they wanted to figure out was this guy was literally going to be working in the apartment, which they founded the business from. Was he someone that was going to fit their culture? Right. And that's, you know, and, and I've, I've heard stories of that number of interviews today in, in even businesses like Apple or what have you. And it's not just the quantity, it's the variety. It's really trying to understand who are you? What's your moral fiber? What's your character? What are your values? And that's what great organizations and great leaders look for. 
Yeah, it's so interesting, isn't it? Because you you kind of alluded to you know obviously the culture there and having that like vision transcend throughout the whole team or the whole organization, which I think is two things that we you know we often hear a lot, but actually making sure that that does actually happen and it's not just a cliche like oh putting the customer first or, or something like that. And I'd be really curious, how, how do you think like what, what separates the companies that actually really do that well and that vision like does I don't really like the phrase but like does trickle down to every person in the company for lack of a better way of phrasing it as opposed to those other companies where it's just something that's perhaps posted on the wall how do you how do you think companies actually do that Adrian or do it effectively? I think it comes down to um I'm actually going to say it's structured it becomes a non-negotiable part of their culture it becomes the way of doing things around here right and it's just it's it's so you take with Southwest Airlines. I had this fantastic interview. We, we hosted a session early this year with with the three of their top leadership team. Um, Elizabeth Bryant, who's their sort of vice president of people, talked about you know how they will go about recruiting for attitude versus skill. And mm-hmm. so she had the process basically it goes along lines like this: if they invite you to Dallas Love Field to interview with Southwest Airlines, they will, by a matter of course, check back with every single person you've interacted with is part of the, the kind of the value chain of getting to Southwest Airlines. They'll talk to the flight attendant on the fl- on the plane that flew you to Love Field. They will talk to the shuttle bus driver who drove you from the hotel to the head office. They'll talk to the doorman who opens the door for you. They'll talk to the direct, the receptionist, which interestingly they call the director of first impressions, because that's exactly what they are, right? And she said, one of my team will meet you in the lobby and walk you to my office if you get that far. Because if at any point in that value chain, we discover you've been rude, we terminate the interview. Because we're trying to figure out, are you the kind of person that's going to try and charm me in the off- in the meeting room, which a lot of people can do, but is rude to the waiter. Yeah. And so the kind of structure they've got in place is they kind of interview you before you know you're being interviewed. <laughs> and so, you know, when that becomes the way you do things around here, or you'll see, you know, they'll ask, you know, uh, you know, so in the same spirit, they will ask behavior based interview questions. So Airbnb is one of, in my experience, most employee centric and customer centric organizations I've ever come across. And I don't think they quite get the press they deserve for it. But I know that they put the host at the center of their business, right? And so when they're interviewing, what they're trying to figure out is, do you have a kind of do you view others uh, first? And so one of the questions they might ask you is, um, when was the last time you showed compassion for somebody as part of your interview question, which is a brilliant question. So I think it's, it's those kind of things. And so what you see, so whether it's in the interview process or whether it's, um, uh, uh, so one of the biggest things in business that separates the kind of the wheat from the chav, if you like, in my experience, is I call it alignment, right? Relentless alignment, which is there is a truth in business and in life, which what gets measured, recognized and rewarded gets done and gets celebrated. And what I see in a lot of mainstream businesses that do not have great cultures is they talk customer service, they talk innovation, they talk whatever it is. Yet everybody knows what gets measured, recognized and rewarded is budget cuts and sales performance, right? So when you dig under the, the surface, there's a disconnect. And I think you need to be very, very, you need to really mind the gap in business between what you say it is that you value and what actually people know you value. And they know it by what gets measured, what gets mechanized, or what gets rewarded. 
And to your point, what great businesses do is they structure it. They don't leave it to chance. So I'll give you another example. So in the UK, uh, Timpson, uh, the retailer, you know, one of the most successful retailers in Britain, you know, shoe repairs, key cutting, not a particularly glamorous business, but a very successful business, dry cleaning, those kind of services. Um, many times when they entered the Great Place to Work uh, uh, the, uh, awards, they won them. Um, they have a belief in their culture that you can only lead your people if you know your people. And the way that manifests itself is that if you are a regional manager at Timpson and you've got, I don't know, 30 or 40 staff and reporting into you and you turn up to a kind of offsite, um, James Timpson, the CEO, or John, his father's chairman, or one of the top leadership team will put a piece of paper in front of you. And it's uh, on that piece of paper, Callum, is a name of one of those 30 or 40 people that work for you. And then there's 10 or 12 questions. What's their partner's name? Where do they last go on holiday? If they had £20 for a birthday present, what would you buy them? Do they have a pet? What's it called? Right? Literally a dozen or so personal questions. And you are expected to get 80% of those right. Okay? And if you don't have 80% right, they'll have a serious conversation with why you don't know your people. Right? And so they're structuring it. They're saying, this is what's really important to us in our culture, in our value, in our business, is that, you know, this is a, a team sport, you know, to really know your people. And to know your people, we're going to test you, right? So it's it's those structures that really ensure those drive those behaviours. I think that sets out the 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 average performing companies from the great companies. That's a, a phenomenal yeah. example. I, I really think that's so impressive. What other examples have you seen, Adrian? Because I think we're coming to a point now where we're all beginning to recognise that getting good talent is going to be challenging. Yeah. So what other examples have you seen where companies really live and breathe what they say around it's people first, it's people that are going to make the difference to our success? Gosh, I mean, um, I would say, well, we mentioned them earlier. I would say, you know, the, 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 the Ritz-Carlton is another phenomenal example. Um, and I think one of the things that Ritz-Carlton do brilliantly is you strip away the glamorous brand, okay? So Ritz-Carlton are a super premium luxury hotel brand. When you actually strip it away, they have tens of thousands of people who basically every day are cleaning tables, parking cars, and cleaning hotel rooms. That's not glamorous work, right? But what they do an extraordinary job of is giving those um, frontline um, uh, uh, employees who they call ladies and gentlemen. And they have this lovely credo saying, we are ladies and gentlemen serving ladies and gentlemen, right? Now, if you just start at that position, right? You're ladies and gentlemen serving ladies and gentlemen, right? You are, um, you just automatically, people feel elevated, right? And they're saying, this is not a subservient transaction. And despite the fact that this guest may be spending on a hotel room and night what you earn in month or two months or three months, depending on, on the price of these, you know, you can pay £5,000 a night or more in some of their premier properties for a room, right? And you've got a Hispanic maid who's earning probably £25,000 a year. That could be a massive disconnect and could be subservient. So first of all, that whole thing about we're ladies and gentlemen serving ladies and gentlemen, I think elevates the people to feel, you know, that they are on an equal platform. And then they just, you know, one of the things that they do is they communicate 
unbelievably well. So in every single Ritz-Carlton hotel, the Four Seasons do exactly the same thing. They call it something else. They hold a, a, a lineup. And it's a 15-minute cascade of information to every single Ritz-Halton employee in the world, whether you're in their head office, whether you are in a hotel on the front line. It lasts 15 minutes, and it's a cascade of information, everything from what's happening in this hotel today. So, you know, Ford Motor Company are here. So if you see somebody walking down the, the, the corridor with a, with, a, with a Ford badge on, they're in the King Suite, to Rebecca's staying here today. You know, it's her wedding anniversary, and, you know, so make sure that you, you acknowledge you have to have it. Right, but the, the, the genius is that it's every third day they tell a wow story of service excellence delivered by a lady and gentleman somewhere around the world, right? And they tell that story. So you think about it. You're, you're a new hire employee, you're a new lady and gentleman at Ritz-Carlton. At the end of your first year, you've heard 150 stories of excellence and service delivered by a peer around the world, right? And not only does it help you understand in the moment, inspire possibility in your mind about what great service might look like, because you've heard 150 stories. What a fantastic thing as, a, as, a, as, a, as an employee to have your story of how you delighted a customer told globally to the entire workforce. And they even do a book every year in which those stories are celebrated and recorded forever. I mean, that again, that's phenomenal. Yeah. Huge amount of focus going into that. Do you, can you see a direct, I mean, they are the, the, the amazing companies. Do you see a direct correlation between that sort of effort into putting the, the team at the center of the business to the financial performance or the reduction in staff turnover? Oh, unequivocally, unequivocally. I mean, I have, there has been studies done. Uh, I haven't got the, the one, one to hand that have actually tracked the performance of companies that have, have appeared in things like the Great Place to Work Institute awards and their, their stock performance over a long time. And there's been a incredible thing. But I think the biggest thing is, you know, we're in a war for talent, right? You know, we all know the cost of recruiting people, right, is, is immense, not only in terms of time, but also, you know, in money, if you're paying recruitment fees. And if you're running, a, you know, if you can't retain that, 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 that staff, because basically they turn up and they experience what you know, in some instances are toxic cultures, right? And your employ your rates of turnover are, I mean, in some retail environments, it's 17, 80%. <laughs> it's just, or even, it's, it's crazy, right? You know, you can get that down to, you know, sort of 10% or, or so, but the amount of, of time and money you're saying, but of course, that all that knowledge and expertise that is also being retained with those individuals, right? And if you haven't, if you can't retain that, the chance of them being able to delight and serve your customers long term is is also diminished. And so I think there is a just an unequivocal benefit. And I, I think it even belong. I think it even goes beyond the immediate financial performance of the organisations. What I see is this, which is I see the ripple effect of great place to work cultures, and I see the ripple effect of the opposite, which is, you know, if you basically work for a company where you feel like you are truly valued and respected, when you go dignity and respect, you have great opportunities, you are just a more positive human being, right? And you are then a, a happier, healthier person around everyone you interact with, your friends, your family, and wider society. And the opposite is true, right? And so I think that, you know, the, the cost is not just on the financial performance of the organization. It's the cost of what does it cost us to have tens of thousands of people working for lots of companies who fundamentally are disenfranchised with their organizations in terms of their mental health and the extra societal impact. 
She, uh, I, it's such a good point, Adrian. And I think the sad fact is that so many people are disenfranchised with the companies where, where they work. So it's such a good point to make. Yeah, I mean, I kind of don't really know where to start. You know, I agree with so many things you just said there. In <laughs> minutes or so, I think that point you made just then, like, I can, I can definitely relate to that as well. You know, feeling valued within the company and having opportunities coming your way. But I also really like that story you said. I think it was Ritz Carlton where you said, no, sorry, please, wasn't it? Where the airline uh, attendant, you know, evaluates you, the bus driver, the person on the door, the receptionist, and so on. I really like that phrase. Uh, was it director of first impressions, I think? Yeah, yeah. director of first impressions. Well, that's so it. Really this, I mean, lang language of business is such a powerful thing. You know, what is a receptionist? They are a director of first impressions, right? It's exactly what they are, right? You, you yeah. will form an opinion of a company, but often, or a hotel, wherever it is, within the first 30, 60 seconds of walking through the door. Yeah. Right. And, 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 you know, now that vibe is, and, um, you know, I think what we're talking about here is, you know, for me is, is, you know, what is the role of a leader? Right. And, and, you know, and I, 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 you know, I think there's my, my favorite quotes is, is Ed Shine, who's the professor at MIT. And he says, you know, the only thing of real importance that leaders do is to create and manage culture. At the end of the day, it's the only thing of real importance that you do. And I think, you know, the very, very best leaders that I've seen around the world, you know, truly recognize and truly understand that that's the only thing of real importance they do and then they that really governs how they view the world and it governs their own behavior right and you know there's and I, you know i mean you know i've mentioned southwest airlines we've mentioned earlier on you know but you know the late great herb kelleher you know once said you know power should be reserved for weightlifting and boats <laughs> and uh, I, you know, which I just think is just, you know, yet that's not how it's resumed in most organizations. You know, a lot of leaders think, you know, power is leadership, right? And it's it's not, it's actually it's about fellowship, right? And 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 uh, you know, if you think if you actually recognize that the only thing of real importance that you do is to manage and, and, and create culture, how then as a leader do you spend your time? What are you doing? You know, whether it is it is, you know, whatever, you know, what I'm just thinking one of my again favorite sort of quotes in the same theme. And it goes to setting imagining culture. Terry Kelly, who was the former uh, chief exec at WL Gore Associates, um, the company behind Gore-Tex, talks about, you know, um, the importance of being on message as a leader. And she has this great quote. She says, you know, if you have director in your job title, you have forfeited the right to complain in public. And I absolutely love that because uh, our point isn't that you can't disagree or you can't have a healthy debate or a dialogue with your, your colleagues, your co-workers. Of course you can, but you have that in a closed door environment. And you, the importance is that when you leave that meeting or message, you are on message. Because if you're the kind of leader that sits in those meetings, whether they're physical or virtual, nodding in agreement or you know uh, uh, and then leaves and walks down the corridor physically or virtually and immediately undermines everything that's been said and everyone who is in the room well what kind of culture are you creating right yeah. and so I think for me it goes back to that you know realization that as leaders that's the only thing of real importance that you do and it goes to why for example, you know, putting such an emphasis on recruitment is so important because if all your only thing you're doing is setting to find the culture, you better be damn sure that you're bringing people into the culture that have the right attitude, that aren't going to be toxic, you know, that are going to be, you know, in it for the right reasons, the right motivation, rather than those that are just going to be, you know, wow, you an interview, just want to be all about them and have the ripple effect can be 
horrific on the on the culture of realization and making a wrong hire. I think that's a, a I really I really like what you just said there, Adrian. And if we say, I'm sure on, on, our, on our podcast we've got some say leaders in smaller businesses or small teams within say like slightly smaller companies. And I think those stories of like Ritz Carlton, Tesla, Apple, Southwest Airlines, you know, very aspirational. But obviously, they're they're sort of like quite large companies, they're quite well established. They've they've been around for a long time. So let's say you're leading like a small team or you're the head of a, of a smaller business. What would you think would be like the top three ways that someone could start to, you know, ensure that they have like a really amazing culture. They kind of implement that throughout the business and everyone sort of buys in into the vision. I think I would, I think it's a wall. I think first of all, good news, you're a small business. You can get your head around it and good news. You can pull levers and things happen <laughs> in a lot of big businesses. Neither of those two things are true. So actually celebrate and recognize the fact that actually you're all much more in control in a small business. Than you are in a big business. Um, I think first of all, um, perhaps define what your culture is Truly define it. Right. Because until you know what it is, I don't know if you can recruit against it, <laughs> it, it, what you are. And I think there's a lot of, um, you know, uh, BS when it comes to things like values, right? You know, really define what are the core values of of, of this organization, right? And, and I'd step away from the cliched customer first integrity, you know, employees are mostly, I mean, yawn, 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 right? I mean, I'm talking about, you know, uh, LinkedIn, you know, had a, a, had a value for a while, I'm not sure they still do, you know, which was because they did a survey amongst their top 100 leaders about what's the most valuable trait that the top 100 people leaders saw in their the leaders they rated the most, and the number one result was get shit done, GSD, right? Which I think was right. Great, have a value called get shit done, right? It, Blizzard Entertainment, uh, it was just being bought out by. They had, you know, embrace your inner geek. They're a gaming business. They wanted people to geek out, you know, and be into, you know. So I think, in a really authentic way, define what that culture is, right? Because when you define the culture. I think then you, you know, then you can say, okay, well, what are the kind of attitudinal tributes that 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 people that that that, that fit our culture? And once you define the attitudinal tributes, then you're starting to base behavior-based questions around those attitudes when you're recruiting. And then the next thing is to go is the alignment piece is to say, okay, how do we really make sure that we're aligning, that, that we're saying these are the behaviors we want? How do we make sure we're recognizing, rewarding those? Um and and that and that I mentioned earlier about purpose. You know, I think you know if you can have a clear, 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 concise, and compelling purpose that really appeals to the intrinsic motivation of people, particularly in this sort of war for talent environment, you're already off to a head start. Do you think, Adrian, that that purpose should be a collective purpose? Do you think it should be the leader defines it, or do you think the team should, with the leader, should define it? I think it's probably a combination of the two. I think it it is it is it has to be. I, can, I think it can be defined by either. I've seen it done from top down. I've seen it done from bottom up. I think the most important thing is it's shared, it's communicated, and it's lived. That's the most important thing. Whether it's top down or bottom up. So you know, you, for example, I mentioned earlier, best of the best of the best of the world by a country mile is the Ayurvedic care system. You know, to eradicate needless blindness. It's crystal clear. It's it's clear, concise, and compelling as you get. But it could just be a set of words. What I see it at at, at, at um, Aravind is when you go to India and you you know they, this is an organisation that treats four or five million patients a year. And we were walking around. We took a wavelength group to India to go and visit one of the the, the Aravind ecosystem. We were walking around one of their hospitals. So I'm just going to say that again. It was a bit stumbling over my words. 
So we went to India to visit uh, the Aravind eye care system. And when we were walking around one of the hospitals in Chennai, there on the walls by department, you would see the articulation of that department's role in the eradication needless blindness. So you would literally see, we are housekeeping. Our role in the eradication of needless blindness is to ensure the healthy, sterile working environment for our patients and our colleagues. Medical records department. Our role in eradication of needless blindness is to ensure the accurate and uh, timely recording of all information for our, you know, and it literally where you went. And so, and it, now that purpose was defined by the founder, Dr. V, who you know, uh, passed away 15, 20 years ago now, right? He started when he started the organization in 1970, 1971. He started it with the purpose to eradicate needless blindness. It's kept that purpose of 50 years, but the point is it's lived and it's breathed. And in every single conversation we've had with that executive leadership at the Arab and care system, they, 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 it is literally... If this action is going to help eradicate needless blindness, proceed. If it doesn't, don't. <laughs> and so I don't think it's as much about whether it's top down or bottom up. It's about actually is whether it's breathed, whether it's communicated and whether it's understood. And ultimately, it causes, you know, it, does it cause perhaps pain to the organization, right? Because, you know, you can have a purpose or you like, but that only really becomes tested when this decision has to be made, that may cost you money or time or resources that's in service of that purpose. Yeah, interesting, Adrian, because it can also mean you have to make some tough decisions or painful oh, yeah. decisions. Absolutely. And yeah. uh, that, that's when it becomes very difficult, I think. But Absolutely. Absolutely. Be- Absolutely. I was on a call with a very senior former leader at Airbnb uh, literally a week ago, and uh, she ran... Like um, she was actually the corporate lawyer there, but she helped massively with their strategy and their thinking. And she talked about how ultimately they are in the hospitality business and they put the host at the heart of the business. And she told stories about a number of moments in Airbnb's history where they had to make make or break decisions, literally make or break decisions. One of those examples was um, that when there was a whole thing about hosts not paying taxes right and the hosts were getting a lot of pressure on it the hosts were feeling out of uh, uh, you know pressurized the cities were getting up in arms saying well these you know we're not getting any money from these people being hosted the hotels were up in arms saying why are we paying collecting taxes and and, and, and it was just this circle and she said legally we weren't allowed to take taxes we're not set up we were a platform we couldn't collect taxes but ultimately, because they're the hospitality business and they put the host at the center of the organization and they wanted to Airbnb to be a good corporate citizen, good thing for the world and not cause friction with the cities, how they made a decision that they had to start helping their, their hosts to collect taxes, which was never in their core purpose, never in the mission. It cost them hundreds of millions of dollars to implement, but they collected hundreds of millions of billions of dollars of taxes. But it was the right thing to do because it basically, it, you know, and it, that's where it was. It was a long-term decision to say, this is a painful decision. It's not even our core purpose. But if we are true about being a good corporate citizen, about doing the right things for cities, the right thing for hosts, we have to do this. We have to take this on. Do you think, Adrian, the world of leadership is changing? Do you think we're seeing a shift in leadership? Oh, my God. It is unequivocally the most complex and difficult time to be a leader. 
what, what do you uh, think makes it that way? Sorry, you're probably better to say Adrian, but yeah, it's just kind of curious to ask. Well, if you think about it, uh, you go back, I think in the in the sort of good old days, <laughs> you had to just perhaps worry about motivating your people and, uh, and um, you know, delivering financial results for your shareholders. As the last few years have proven, um, the geopolitical environment in which you're operating can change things in a heartbeat. You know, threats to supply chains that suddenly destabilize your entire business because you know uh, there's there's been a uh, somebody's invaded somebody or covid completely takes out your supply chains you think about the pressures on sustainability right never before have businesses been under so much pressure around sustainability agendas so they have to be paying attention you think about the focus on diversity and inclusion so as a leader now you have to be paying attention to you know whether your business is it sustainable is it, um, are we treating our, uh, do we, uh, you know, where are we at with our diversity and inclusion agenda? How aware are we to, 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 to external geo, how vulnerable are we to effects, geopolitical effects that could take our business out? You turbocharge onto that um, the impact of technology on businesses, uh, you know, which is, you know, business models being destroyed in record time. Businesses, the, the length of the length of tenure of businesses on the FTSE 100, FTSE 250, FTSE 500 has never been shorter. So the world is moving faster. It's more complex. You've got to worry about sustainability. You've got to about diversity and inclusion. You've got to work about you know supply chains. You've got to work. You've got so much more to to to, to worry about. And so you know, one of my pleas to leaders is you know, I think in response to that. You you absolutely have to have your uh, stealing once again a radar a uh, 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 Carlton uh, uh, sort of uh, philosophy which is radar on and antennae up. You need to be as a leader far more aware of what's happening in the outside world, how your customers are viewing you, what impacts uh, uh, events as your control might have on your key stakeholders than you ever have before, and you need to pay much more time to to external getting that external inspiration, education, stimulus all the time. Because if you are operating right now in the same echo chamber in your organization, talking to the same people about the same things internally, day in, day out, it is just not good enough in the environment, the complex, difficult, some call it VUCA environment in which we operate today. I think that's such good advice because I think you can apply that, can't you? Regardless of how big your business is, whether you're in a small team or a massive huge organization or small family business, you can go out there and do those things that you just said. So that's really actual um, advice, I think, for, for all of our listeners on this. You're about to say something? Adrian, you go. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I was going to say, I mean, I've spent my entire life, uh, Callum, you know, encouraging people to swipe with glee. <laughs> Right. Swipe with glee, ideas and stimulus. This is why your podcast is brilliant, right? You're capturing the wisdom from people who've been there and done it. You know, I've spent 30 years going in the boardroom shop floors and meeting with leaders who've been there and done it. None of this is often rocket scientists. It's, 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 you know, and when it comes down to culture, particularly, you know, it's really interesting. You know, somebody made a point many years ago, which they said was basically, we're all essentially in the same business. We're in the business of trying to figure out how to win and engage the human spirit. Right. No, none of us, because people say, oh, you know, that's an airline and that's a hotel industry and that's a retailer. and That's a pharmaceutical company. And that's an oil company. It wouldn't work in my sector. When the point they made was none of us employ aliens. We all employ human beings. Right. And fundamental human needs don't 
shift, right? They may shift a little bit around the world until you go around the world, but, you know, fundamentally security and dignity respect, and we like to have, you know, be heard and have our voice and be appreciated and be encouraged. Those things basically don't change, right? And they never have. But how, but you can learn a lot, steal a lot, swipe with glee, how do great leaders and great organizations around the world go about engaging and inspiring the human spirit? So, you know, the great thing is by by looking outside, by listening, by observing, by, you know, talking, challenging, you can learn a lot. Thank you very much, Adrian. I think that's, you know, incredible advice to, to share with our listeners. And you can say something? I, I, I'm not sure if I was or not. I've got so many other thoughts and ideas. <laughs> perhaps I will ask you, Adrian, if what three pieces of advice would you give um, an SME business leader to who wants to be recognised as a, as a successful business, a progressive and growing business, having great leadership and culture, what three tips would you give them to help them to do that? And we've talked about setting the purpose and how you might do that. We've talked about communication. Are there any other three things that you would say do? Um. Yeah. So I mean, I've talked about. So I've almost got two answers to the question. So there's some sort of there's some sort of um, organizational principles that I would get it to you know it's a clear compelling purpose absolutely in there you know the 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 right people on the bus absolutely in there um you know obsessive focus on customer put the customer absolutely the epicenter of your organization unequivocally i would i would i would echo that we've talked about alignment the power of making sure you're recognizing rewarding recognizing what you're doing communicate 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 you know communicate up communicate across communicate down a bit like the ritz carlton story about um you know the the, the lineup i would like that's really important so i think there are some organizational principles i think also though i take it more almost the individual level and this is perhaps informed by great leaders i've seen in action but by own beliefs um number one thing i would say is build your networks and it's not just networks, it's about really being strategic about where are you getting advice, support and ideas from. In fact, there's a brilliant book um, called The Personal Boardroom, which I'm a massive advocate of, which gets you to really understand the difference between the power of networks and networking. And I'm not talking here about networking. I am allergic to the idea of turning up to some godforsaken <laughs> event with a glass of wine and 200 people and walking around and wishing I could do something better with my life I mean I think it's just the most pointless useless exercise I'm talking about saying strategically who are the people that would be useful to you in your business right now or your life right now to help you succeed and if you I would advocate buying the book or reading the app but they identify people that play very specific roles so it's almost like their visual is you've got a boardroom table it's got 10 seats around it and each of those seats should be somebody who's playing a very specific role in your 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 business or your career who's your chief connector you want to learn from the outside who's got the best black book that you know that when you call them they'll say give me 48 hours rebecca and i'll be back with you with an introduction right who's your nerve giver you you're going to try to raise money from the bank or your shareholders you're doing a presentation to the chairman and you're panicking 
everything. And it's the person you phone up and they say, you're gorgeous. You've got this. Don't worry. Right. Who's that person? Who's your coach? Who's your mentor? Who's your sponsor? Right. You know, who's the voice of the customer? So really thinking about your networks. I mean, this is, I have spent my entire life. I owe my entire business success to the power of my networks. So I'm a massive believer. And in my absolute belief and experience, so many leaders are far too insular and do not have powerful networks around them. So I would really advocate that. I mean, that feeds into kind of the whole, you know, looking up, getting outside, structuring into your business life, you know, reading, listening to podcasts, going to events, whatever it is where you're getting that external view. Um, and the third thing is, 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 is get help. It's bloody lonely being a leader. It's bloody lonely and it's hard. And, you know, the best leaders that I've seen, uh, you know, have those coaches, have those mentors and have those sponsors. And I, I almost, you know, define those things by in three ways. And I've done this personally, you know, which is I, I sort of say a coach is a person who kind of, you know, helps you figure out what you should be doing. Uh, a mentor basically tells you what you should be doing. And I basically, I think a sponsor kind of tells other people how great you are, right? So it's like, and you almost want those those three people in your lives right um so they would be that's perhaps going a bit broader than your your your, your question but hopefully useful it's a great it's a great response adrian i think you've thrown a fresh perspective on networking and i agree with you completely that your what you don't like about networking as opposed to having that powerful network of connectors and people that can really help you and and, and support you. I think that's a great, great point. Thank you very much for that. No problem. It's, it's one, I, one I passionately believe in. I, 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 you know, as in any business, we've had some massive ups, we've had some massive downs. We lost 65% of our revenues in 2020 in, the, in, in COVID because my business was based on running physical study tours where I took leaders to places like China and India and America and that all went away in about four weeks and uh, it was people in my network um, clients friends who I could call upon sometimes almost cry down the phone <laughs> who would pick me up you know sometimes empathize sometimes you know say come on you know rally yourself and and it was literally one of those conversations where the spark of an idea came for a digital program called Way Then Inspire which we set up 18 months ago, which now has 600 people subscribing to it, which has been the savior of our business in having lose 65% of revenues. And it would not have happened did I not have that network to call upon. Yeah, no, I think you shared some incredible insights on this podcast, Adrian. You know, thanks very much for sharing that with us. I think from your stories of businesses that you work with, advice to other leaders with small businesses or large, and you know, that sharing you saw with us, shared with us just now. So thank you very much for that. Um, and as, as we draw things to a close, um, you know, as we mentioned just before we start hitting forward, we'd love to give our guests a little bit of time at the end of the podcast to you know, share what's going on in their business, share what they're up to in their personal life or how they can connect with them. So I'd love to just kind of hand back over to you, Adrian, and share any sort of closing thoughts or whatever you'd like to share with our, our audience. No, thank you, Callum. I really, really appreciate the opportunity. I mean, I think, I suppose, again, we, two, two things. One is I just, like, I suppose, just in part a bit of sort of, uh, again, uh, a, a sort of reflection I've had on 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 my leadership and 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 great leaders I've seen, which I'd really encourage people to do, which is um as a leader or as an individual, just really double down on where you get your energy from. 
And it's one of the most powerful questions a coach ever asked me. Because a lot of people talk about, you know, I haven't got a purpose. I don't know what my purpose is. I don't, and they can struggle trying to just try to find their purpose. Some people find it early. Some people never find it. But I think most of us can answer the question, where do you get your energy from? And it's a really good question to ask yourself. And when you do that, try and figure out a way to say, you know, whether that's through your business, can you actually run a business that really serves that purpose or outside of business? Is it, what is it? Is it spending time with friends with family? Is it exercise? Is it, is it, what is it? And really governing your life around that. And it's a, it's a very powerful question that coach asked me many years ago and has really helped me in my business and my career and, and, and to do that. And so I just want to kind of almost pass that on to people because I think purpose is great, but it can sometimes be too, too aspirational. I never, you know, I'm never going to reach that, but just asking that simple question when you're at your best, how are you feeling? Who are you with? What's around you? I think would be would be great. In terms of a wavelength perspective, uh, as I mentioned earlier, you know our business is very simple. We are specialists in bringing the outside world in, providing our clients with that inspiration, that education, that provocation. If anyone would like to access that, our website is very simple, just wavelengthleadership.com. Uh, please go on there. I mean, I do a lot of you know a um, couple of things. We give you an example of a couple of things we're doing. So literally in in two weeks time I'm off to America with 20 top level leaders from all around the world to go and spend um, six days going inside the boardroom shop floors of some of the companies we've mentioned on this podcast Southwest Airlines Ritz-Carlton and then some of the great and good of Silicon Valley the Goodles some of the leading VCs thought leaders and most disruptive companies in, in Silicon Valley um, doing that uh, we have a digital program called Inspire which just brings in the outside world every single month and you can subscribe on your own or you can subscribe a whole team to that or indeed I do you know quite a lot of public speaking so if you ever wanted to, uh, I'm always available to come and tell some stories at, at, uh, at off-sites or conferences. But that's um, but but thank you for the opportunity today. It's been uh, really great to uh, to have to reflect, actually, I guess, on some of the things that I've learned over the, uh, the last 30 years of my career. Awesome. Well, thank you very much, Adrian, from my side. It's been a, been a pleasure having you on. Thank you. And lovely to reconnect. Thank you, Adrian. Absolute pleasure. Thank you for listening to our podcast. And as always, if you enjoyed it, we welcome a review. And if you have any questions and like to get in touch with us, you can do that at the rjen.co.uk website.